Jim. Boom, boom, boom. This is working, isn't it? Yep. Hopefully this will work too in a moment. So uh, where do I point it? That way or that way? Okay. Um, you might get a clue as to what I'm going to talk about from what's up on the screen behind me. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, talking about um, fairness. Um, <clears throat> some of you may remember uh, Harry Enfield. Harry Enfield was a comedian and he, he used to take on a number of different personas and portray them um, uh, as, as part of his, his, his act. And one of them was a guy called Kevin. I don't know if you remember Kevin. Kevin used to have a cap that was slightly sideways and he'd have hair coming out here and he had a t-shirt that was too big and he was supposed to be 16, 17, 18 age group. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you in a minute if any of you who have had children um, or looked after children or can remember what it was like yourself being a child, whether you recognise this. Because Kevin, uh, every now and again, would go like this. And then like this. And then he goes, it's not fair. <laughs> and that, I've seen that replicated in real life in many of my children and my grandchildren. Has anybody else? <laughs> if you said no, I'll have a word with you afterwards. <laughs> um, because there's a sense, I think, in all of us uh, that fairness is quite important. Um, Greenwich Council, uh, a couple of years ago, decided to establish a fairness commission because they had looked at certain outcomes across the borough and realised uh, that life was not being fair to many of the people who lived in Greenwich. For instance, one thing that, that sticks in my mind is that if you lived where I lived at the time in Elton Park Gardens, uh, I had a life expectancy that was five years greater than if you lived in Deepest Plumstead. Okay. And they thought that that's not fair. There were many other statistics that they looked at that said that if you lived in certain parts of the borough, your um, outcomes from your education or the education of your children would be vastly different to other areas of the borough. If you became unwell, um, then the treatment that you got and the results of those, that treatment could vary enormously across the borough. Now, the borough is only about five, wise, five miles wide and about five and a bit tall. So it's not a great distance, but yet there were huge variations in people's life chances based on where they lived. So they thought. So they set up a, a commission. They had a guy called Lord James uh, Kerslake uh, come and head it up who was once the chief executive of the NHS. He ran the NHS across the country, he was the top man. Uh, he had retired from that and they thought he would be a worthy character to come and lead this thing. And loads of other eminent people uh, were part of this commission and they spent time studying what happened in Greenwich. And they came to the conclusion that for many people, their life chances varied. Okay? And their opinion was that was not fair. Okay, so they set about trying to 
establish what they should do to change their outcome. And um, <coughs> they did identify a number of little policies and things that they could introduce that would make things more equal. But the bottom line, the conclusion was, life just isn't fair. Um, our life chances vary. In fact, our lives, um, as we experience them and as we live them, we discover are as different as our fingerprints. Okay? If we just take the small sample of the people that are in this room, there'll be huge variation in uh, how long we'd live, how healthy we are, uh, what uh, we achieved in education, what we achieved in our work, um, what we achieved with our families, our friends, and they'll be vastly different. And if you compared one with the other, you might say, like Kevin, it ain't fair. Right? But I don't think that's really what God wanted to call us to. He didn't really want to call us to a place where things are equal, that we all have the same life chance, we all have the same positions and achievements in our lives. Um, but yet, he did talk a lot about contentment. Um, and, and contentment, uh, I looked it up in the dictionary, is uh, being satisfied or showing satisfaction with things as they are, not as they could be. Okay. Um, I want to spend a bit of time looking at this through the life of Paul. Now, Paul's quite an interesting character. Um, a large part of the New Testament is written by Paul. Um, and the parts of the New Testament that he wrote were all about how uh, salvation and God's plan for mankind was spread across the world. And Paul had a lot to do with the spreading. That was his mission. Um, <clears throat> in most Bibles, if you take Paul's writing, it adds up to somewhere around about 70 or 80 pages. And a lot of people reckon that those 70 or 80 pages, even though they're relatively small in terms of all that's been written and all that's been uh, established in other books and, and other things, is a very small part of everything that mankind has put together in terms of thinking and philosophy and that sort of thing. But yet, these 80 pages have had a profound effect on the world. Um, <clears throat> and Paul uh, was the character behind all of that. And therefore, Paul has made a profound effect on the whole of the world. So it's worth looking at Paul and some of the things that he discovered uh, about life. And I want to look at what Paul discovered about life um, in uh, uh, his, his life and what it was wrote, written about. So here, I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians. Somebody mentioned Corinthians earlier. This is it's another bit of Corinthians, Jim. <laughs> I was interested in what you said because um, that verse, 2-5, um, as, as you read it out, uh, Esme whispered in my ear, said, well, that's Jim. <laughs> You know, so it's amazing how God establishes things right at the beginning, doesn't it? Anyway, um, this is Paul writing. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. That makes 39. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from, from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure, and apart from other things, there were the daily pressures on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Yeah. He could probably say at the end of all that, that, that wasn't really fair. <laughs> um, but yet, um, Paul learnt in all his experiences this secret of contentment. Um, and if we go on and we look at the, oh, the next one, Oh, too far. This one, in Philippians. Uh, this is him reflecting on everything we've just read in Corinthians. And he says this. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He was talking to the Philippians uh, that they were in, you know, caring for him. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, despite all the things that he went through. Um, for I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But this key phrase right in the centre of that is, I have learned how to be content. Right. It's not something that uh, was given to us. Like sometimes we receive peace and we receive um, friendship, we receive um, patience, we receive long suffering, we receive um, perhaps wealth or, or whatever. Um, contentment, in my, in, from my gather from Paul, is not something that I receive. Um, it's something I've learned. I learn. So, in some extents, you have to go through stuff to get through to this place of knowing contentment. If we look around our world, we find that it's it's quite an anxious uh, place, whether uh, in the world itself, in society or community, or maybe just in our family. Um, there's there's a need for the anxiety to be replaced. With, it, with being content. Um, and part of the reason why it needs to happen um, is that contentment, coupled with our faith, actually authenticates our witness and testimony of God's goodness to us. You know, if we were discontent, but yet we were speaking the gospel, that would actually, there'd be something that didn't quite add up, something that wasn't quite right. Um, people would question, perhaps, whether what we're saying about, you know, the gospel can bring you peace, it can bring you salvation, it can bring you uh, faith, it can bring you into a place where you can trust God. But yet, if I'm anxious, if I'm desiring of more than, uh, than I have, then maybe that weakens my, my testimony. Um, I was reading my newspaper yesterday, and uh, you may not be able to read this, but 
uh, I came across this chart, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it was nothing to do with what I was speaking about, but it, it <laughs> I, and, and in some way, this is a, a, a diversion. Um, but on this chart, you've got the thing along the bottom is how much do you get paid an hour? Okay? And up the side is a scale about how satisfied you are with life. Okay? Now, the thing that struck me with this is the, the uh, and all these names are occupations. So if you're in one of these occupations, it gives you roughly how much you're paid on average and how much you're satisfied with life. Okay? Now, some woman did this. She worked for ONS, the, the organization of national statistics or whatever. And she, was, she got to the point where her kids were choosing university courses and ch making decisions for the rest of their life. And she wanted them to understand this message, that making that choice doesn't always end up in being satisfied or content. Um, but the thing that really struck me with this is the one that's right at the very top is clergy. <laughs> so if you're in the clergy, statistically, you're more likely to have satisfaction with life than any of these others, whether it be midwife, counsellors, journalists, solicitors, or whatever. You might not earn as much as everybody else, but you can be very happy. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I found it interesting. Um, discontent often causes us to struggle. Um, you can see signs of discontentment in, in people if they're grumbling or if, if, if they've got the wrong sort of ambition. You know, this chart alone, it might, you, might have, you might be down this end as far as the bottom scale is concerned, but really you want to be right at this end over here where instead of getting £2 an hour, you're getting £40 an hour uh, for whatever you do. Uh, and if your ambition, I'm not saying that wanting to earn more is, a, is, a, is wrong, but having the wrong ambition on how you get there, the, because if it's, draw, if, it's, if it's at the cost of others or it's at the cost of the quality of life that you're actually experiencing, it can be wrong. There's also the opposite to that. There's those who, who might um, be discontent because they're self-deprecating. They're not really pushing their way forward. They're not really saying, I am who I can be. Um, they're, they're living in a perception that says, you know, I'm not worthy or I'm not able, I'm not capable, I'm not as good as everybody else. Um, or again, uh, we can have struggles with discontentment if we have envy, if we were envy, if we are uh, looking at others and thinking they've got more than me and I'd like to have the same. This concept of keeping up with the Joneses and... Um, or having a, a, a jealousy about what other people have. These things are, do not, they cannot coexist with contentment. Um, another interesting one is, is, is that if we have the inability uh, to see God's image in ourselves, it can often lead to that sense of discontentment. The other things I should say is contentment is not um, the same as being comfortable or being complacent. 
you know, the fact that I'm sitting still and I'm at peace with everything that goes around me and I appear to be okay doesn't necessarily mean I'm content. It doesn't necessarily mean that I really understand what it is about being satisfied with things as they are. I can still, in my own mind, even though I'm, I feel I'm comfortable, have those things going on up here saying, but, but I wish, but I wish, I, I hope, and I, I would like or I long for uh, other things. It's interesting, I think, if we look at the Old Testament, there's quite a lot that God says about being at peace uh, with ourselves and who we are and what we have. Uh, and in fact, it's in, in involved in, in the, the, the Ten Commandments that he gave us, wasn't it? It was not to envy and not to be covetous. Um, there's that sense of, you know, you're not to want more than your, the, or to be com- compare yourselves with others. And, and see in them things that you want. Um, and I think it's also interesting if we look at our own society, if we look at people around us, if we look at what people say, and we look, you know, the, the, the Kevin thing at the beginning, we do hear a lot in people's society. I may not say it's not fair, but they may express opinions and they may express views, they may say things uh, that implies they're not wholly satisfied with their lot. Um, and, and to be honest, if I listen, if I eavesdrop on other people's conversations, I hear that issue um, come out quite a bit. Um, there seems to be something that says it's right uh, to wherever you are to want more. You know, Greenwich Council, having set up this Fairness Commission, thought that everybody should be, have the same opportunities. Well, yeah, everybody should, but the outcomes that they experience vary considerably. Um, and, and when you start comparing Drew's outcome with Louisa's outcome, they could be vastly different. But for Drew, it may not be wrong, and for Louisa, it may not be wrong. You know, they need to find what God's doing in their lives to bring contentment into all that they're doing. Um, let's go on. Again, Paul wrote uh, in Timothy, he said, but godliness and contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And that sounds quite terrible, doesn't it? Just because we're not content, uh, we can be. But you can see, I think, in, in, in people when, when they have... I mean, I've seen it in the workplace where people have had an ambition that's overridden everything else in their life. It becomes the one important thing uh, that they do, you know. And it's often at the cost of those they work with and at the cost of their families. You know, ambition, the wrong form of ambition, an ambition that drives people above and beyond uh, uh, what their normal or what, what they could achieve 
uh, is, is something that can be quite destructive. And, and it, has its, it has its roots in discontentment. If we look at contentment itself, um, we can see that it has some, some good aspects to it, uh, some things uh, that are um, <coughs> uh, what we would uh, like to see, I guess, in ourselves and, and would like to see in others. If we're content, we're often grateful. Um, and the opposite is, is, is true to all of these. Um, if we're discontent, we're often ungrateful. Um, but if we're content, we're often grateful. We're, we're thankful for the things that we have. We're thankful for where we are, uh, the situations we're in, and so on. Um, if we're content, we're often appreciative uh, of others and other things. We can see how... Uh, they are blessed in their situation and we can appreciate that and we can uh, you know, join with them on how they understand it. People who are content are often optimistic, they're uncomplaining and they're often at peace uh, with their situations and with their circumstances. Uh, and it's not about fairness. There's, there's a, a famous... Um, parable that Jesus, Jesus spoke in Matthew. Um, it's in Matthew 20. And it says, these last worked for... This, this is where a man hired some people and he hired them at different times of the day uh, to work. And then it came to the end of the day and he, this bit is about him paying them for their labours. It says, these last worked for only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? That was for the whole day at the beginning. Um, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with the belongings to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. There's a, a bit in the Old Testament where God says um, to Moses, he said, I will bless who I will bless and I will not bless those who I won't bless. It's up to me to make that decision. It's I who are in charge. I'm the one who's giving out the blessings. I'm the one who is uh, giving people the reward for their labours, as in this, this psalm. And if God chooses to bless one person one way and bless another person in another way, then we should find gratitude and appreciation and, and an uncomplaining nature in our own hearts that says, well, that's good that God has done that for that person and I recognise what God has done for me. Um, so <clears throat> it's not about um, all things being equal. Um, if we're looking for equality, we're going to spend the rest of our lives doing it. Um, because I have a, a background in, in, in mathematics, I, I always like to try and uh, use an equation or two here and there. Equations I like because, in a sense, it's saying that if you get these things right, they are equal. Okay? So... 
Uh, the bit we read in, in Timothy just now, it said, um, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Okay, so the equation is we get food and we get clothing should equal contentment. Okay? Where it goes wrong is when we've got the things that God has given us, but yet we, out of ourselves, we want more. Not we need more, but we want more. Okay? So whatever this more is, and that's what the question mark in the second equation is, once we add that to the equation, the answer is no longer contentment, it's discontentment. And uh, so what are some of these things that we might want to ask? We might want, to, we might want a greater reputation, we might want uh, better health, we might want greater success in all that we do and all that we are. Um, but if we live for any of these things, putting them uh, in front of everything else, then we'll never be satisfied and we'll lose uh, things and we will, it would lead to us being unhappy. In Proverbs, it says, and he prayed. Has it come up? Yes. God, I'm asking for two things before I die. Don't refuse me. It says, banish, lips, banish lies from my lips and lies from my presence. And give me enough food to live, neither too much nor too little. If I am too full, I might be independent, saying, God, who needs him? If I am poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of God. Uh, so what the, the writer is saying here in Proverbs is the way in which God gives to us and deals with us, there's a balance in it. Right? And he might give us the things that we need which would be wholly satisfying for us as long as we don't look at what he's doing with somebody else and compare what he's doing. And I like this because it, it, it comes down to it's a personal thing. It's, it's, it's about me and God. What has God done for me and do I want him to do more? Well, yes, I will want him to do more, but only those things that fit with his heart and desires for me. Um, as soon as I say, but I want what Jim's got. <laughs> right? Now, I might think that, um, but if it becomes an important, such an important thing to me that it distracts or destroys what God has done for me, uh, and I, I start saying, well, that, what God has done for me is not enough because I haven't got what he's got, then I start to go down the wrong path and I start to work my way to uh, discontentment. It's interesting, you know, because I think you get more content as you get older. And I don't think that happens just because you're older. I think it's because you've had more opportunities to understand what God has done for you and that you become more content in them and more satisfied in them and the things that you see in other people you realise are not as great as they thought they were. <laughs> but there you go. But it, uh, we do need to find uh, contentment in our own lives. God wants us to be content. Paul could not have experienced um, experienced all that he experienced. He couldn't have gone through everything he went through unless behind it all there was a contentment that God was doing what God wanted to do in his life so that he could be at peace with what was happening and what he was experiencing. Um, hopefully, 
And this is a good thing about us all being different. I don't have to go through everything, Paul. I don't have to be whipped 39 times. I don't have to be thrown in prison. I don't have to be shipwrecked. I don't have to be stoned. I can just do the things that God's got in line for me. For Paul, it was different, and he found contentment in it. For me, it's different, and I need to find contentment in it. But contentment is derived from a number of assurances. Uh, and God, in his word and in the way in which he deals with us, gives us these assurances, and, and, <coughs> and they, I, I've listed, there's probably loads and loads of them, but I've listed six that I really want to go through. Okay, the first one is an assurance of a full relationship with God. Now, I say use the word full because in the sense of a relationship that's complete, it's not just when I want it to be, it's not just when I'm feeling good, it's, it's all the time. It's, and, and that's what God offers us, isn't it? That one-on-one relationship with him that addresses every aspect of our lives, all our feelings, all our thoughts, uh, every experience, every situation, every circumstance we go through. God wants to be with us in all of it. And we mentioned a lot about those. God is faithful and God is uh, uh, trustworthy and God is with us whenever, wherever we go. We, we've shouted some of those things out this morning. <clears throat> the next one is an assurance of who we are in God. It's important for us to find out what we are in God. And again, I've become Jim. I am not like Jim. Okay? I am more like Alan Robinson. Okay? Um, sometimes, you know, you might think, well, I'd rather be like Jim, but that's not what God's given me to be or to do. So what I need to be what God wants me to be. So, and there's a work in that as well. We need to discover how we do that. Okay. Uh, and that leads me on to the second one. There's, there's an assurance. We need to find an assurance of his plan and his intention for our lives. You know, what is it that God wants me to do? What is his plan for me? Now, that may involve Esme and my family to some extent. It may involve you to some extent, but the primary understanding that I need to have is what, do, what is his plan for me? Therefore, what is my contribution to my family and to my church uh, and, and the wider situations? Um, unless we know what God wants in his heart for me, then I wander around aimlessly. You know, um, as you know, I'm very much involved in the food bank. Well, I believe that that was a clear intention and plan of God. Even though it was Esme's idea in the first place, um, for me to be involved in that. Um, now, I don't want to boast on that, but I don't think there was anybody else at the time who was available to do it. Um, I've now been doing it since 2012, and I've got to the stage now where I think somebody else ought to be doing it, okay? Um, now, I'm on a search to find the somebody else, right? and I haven't found them yet, um, but if you can help me, I'll be very grateful, because I believe now's the time, uh, now that it's up and running and it's largely working uh, and it's established, that it's time that I withdrew and somebody else took it up. 
not because I'm not able to do it, but because I believe that's what God's plan is, to actually get more youth and enthusiasm and energy into something which I no, no longer can do. Uh, it's time, is right, for somebody else to come and do that. That's my feeling of what God is saying to me, and that's about his plans and intentions for my life. Now, I, I am 100% content in what I'm doing with the food bank, uh, and, and will be until God shows me that it's somebody else's turn. Okay. Uh, we need an assurance that all things work together for good. When we're going through the difficult times, and we're thinking, well, what's happening to me? Why am I doing it? Why is all this going wrong? Right. We need to realise that all things work together for good in God. Um, I can look back at times, and I'm sure you can, and you think, that was not a time I would like to relive. You know, I'm glad we got through that and passed it. I wouldn't want to go back into that situation again. Um, and we can, I can look at those situations and say, well, having looked at those things, there are, there's good has come out of them. Right? Um, one thing, one great example, I think, about uh, looking back at when you've wondered about whether things work together for good is I can think of almost all the big issues in my life and I can say uh, that God has used those um, since that time in meeting other people who have had similar problems, similar issues. Um, and I'm a great believer in the, uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit called empathy. It's not actually mentioned in the Bible too much, <laughs> but there's a great uh, work of God that can be done because you're able to understand and empathise somebody else's situation because you've been there. You know, there's nothing more comforting when you're in a difficult place to say, I know how you feel, I've been there. And, um, so, and part of that is the evidence that things work out uh, for good. Um, we need an assurance that we can access God uh, through prayer. Uh, it's, it's, it's very important to realise that we're not praying into the air when we pray, that we have a God who hears and he listens and he answers uh, our prayers. And lastly, uh, contentment is uh, derived from an assurance of eternal life. Um, the fact that we are here for a time, but yet greater glory is to come, a greater uh, place than this earth is being made for us by God in heaven. And uh, that in itself... Uh, seeds um, contentment so if we take all these assurances of all that God has done to us um, this is not about just knowing or believing these things um, with assurances it's about accepting them right? you know, the God has provided us with the eternal life that's not just about believing it or knowing it it's about accepting it and so much of contentment is about accepting, right? And not, um, you know, wishing it was something else. 
In Corinthians, Paul again says, um, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, and when he says, I am weak, and now I'm something, he himself is, is not strong enough to overcome these things, but with God, he becomes strong enough. And, and that's his contentment. So whatever, basically saying, whatever life throws at me, uh, because uh, of... of uh, God's grace being sufficient, I can find contentment, I can find peace, I can find that place of rest. Genuine contentment is one of the hallmarks of godly people. You know, as I said before, uh, if, 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 if people observe that in our lives we're not content and yet we're trying to tell them the gospel is the best thing since last bread, then it rings a little hollow if we, they don't see that evidence in our own lives. And um, along the way, as we go, we, we learn, I believe, the secret of contentment. And I believe it's all around an assurance of God is who God is, and God does what God does. And once we've learned that secret, it can change our perspective on all that we do and all that we are. Uh, and, and give us a confidence uh, in God to do the things that he still has in store for us. Um, so I think that's last. You may have realised that as we were going through those slides, there were blue words appearing on the side, and it's, that's the subliminal message <laughs> uh, that I was uh, trying to say to you. Um, that contentment is, satis is satisfaction with things as they are and not as they could be. Now, there potentially could be a lot of things out there for us, but we're not striving for those. We're happy with God, with what God is doing with us now. And if he wants to do something else with us tomorrow, then we can be as content in that too. Amen. <laughs>